Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the pioneers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Sahar Hashemi OBE. I'm very pleased to say we've tracked her down. Co-founder of Coffee Republic, the UK's first US-style coffee bar chain, founder of Skinny Candy, the low-fat confectionery brand, and, and importantly, recently founder of the Buy Women Built movement. Working as a lawyer and having fallen out of love with the profession, it was losing her father when she was 25 that drove Sahar to quit the industry and look for something new. Discovering the coffee bar concept in New York and wishing the UK had similar experiences led Sahar and her brother Bobby to launch Coffee Republic in 1995 and open 110 stores in just five years. After writing Anyone Can Do It, a best-selling book demystifying entrepreneurialism, Sahar launched Skinny Candy in 2005, meeting her own need for low-calorie sweets, not just her need either. More recently, having helped many startups to scale and supporting larger companies to behave more like entrepreneurs, Sahar switched efforts to fight the gender entrepreneurial gap. Her movement, Buy Women Built, aims to encourage shoppers to purchase women-built brands and boost female entrepreneurship. Sahar Hashemi is my business shaper today. And I said we, we've tracked her down. This is a very busy person. But you're here in the flesh. And I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> this, this is good. What's it all about, Sahar? After all these years, you make stuff, you keep making stuff. What, what's the drive? Where's it from? Um, I, I don't know where the drive from. I suppose maybe my parents, the whole idea of, you know, I think there's so much time in the day, right? And you just want to use it properly. So you go to bed knackered. And I always get worried if I don't go to bed knackered. It means I haven't done enough, really. What time do you go to bed usually? Oh, God, actually quite quite early. You're like before first, 10 like, o'clock, of, aren't you? Yeah. Lights are out yeah, by 10. Yeah, it's sort of, me, like at least in bed by 10. I love that. And if I'm not in bed by 10, <laughs> I get very anxious. <laughs> and, and waking up in the morning. I ask these questions for a reason, which I'll come on to. But wait, what yeah. time do you wake up? Actually, I mean, they're not... Not silly. Sort of not silly, but sort of seven, that kind of thing. Seven-ish. And so therefore between 7am and 10pm, Sahar is in... Do mode? No, so hard. No, absolutely not. I mostly work from home, although that's changed. And so I have a sort of faux commute. You heard of the words having a faux commute? I've got a dog, and basically we actually drive up to Kensington Gardens together. And I feel like I'm sort of commuting. I leave the house, we go for a walk, just the two of us together, me and the Jack Russell, called Stuart actually. And we just I ha- remember that. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. The Jack Russell. Very important information here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we, um, and yeah, we just have a walk, and it just it's, it's my time for the day to start. And I sort of come come back, make myself a nice latte, and um, and start. But but I kind of almost come back into the house, and at that point, and that's your office. It's as it an were. office, exactly. Yeah. My husband's left. We've sort of we've turned into office mode at that point. So going going back, listen, you're you're from Iran originally. Uh, yes. Came over with many many people at the end of the 1970s. That's hard. People don't often talk about just like we talk about immigration, we talk about refugees, we talk about all sorts of things. At that point, you land as someone from the outside. If you can remember that feeling, then 
Gosh, um, people barely ask me that. It's a very interesting question. I suppose I, I was just so I was just so lucky with both my parents who have actually lost. Um, but they just somehow shielded me. It's, it's sort of weird. I was really blessed with having parents who made everything easier. They had such a positive attitude, and we were the one thing I remember was when when we arrived into this sort of rented flat, and there was a bag, and it was a W. H. Smith bag. But I'd never I never knew anything about England or English life, and I remember I kept pronouncing it Wismith, not realizing I it was did like the same. W- Smith, did I, I didn't have any excuse. I'd grown up with W. H. Smith. I really it, it, thought. Absolutely. <laughs> we're thinking going to Whitsmith and, <laughs> and I had we had no friends here and you know, we had a sort of very sort of wonderful life in Iran, surrounded by, you know, everyone at school was like a relation almost. So mm. it was starting all over again. But you know, I'd like to say it was hard, but just having had the parents I had, they just made everything easy and cushioned and just made the positive of everything. So to that extent, I just I can't complain that looking back on it, what they did. Was your family your community or was there a bigger community? Because again, now what I see with you is the creation of many communities and we'll come on to Bible and Built specifically, but how big was your world then before you then went to, you know, university and became yeah. a lawyer and all um, that? Yeah, do you know what, interestingly, my parents actually had this view, which was, um, they say that the sort of their word was, once you've come, once you moved to England, you've got to burn all your bridges. So we didn't really have a community. We had, we've, we've got a lovely family, but they all went to America, whereas we went to UK. So we were very much alone. And and they made made me sort of, in a way, build from the ground up. And they didn't keep us within that community. So, which in a way, I'm so grateful now, you know, having lost both of them now, my mum sort of about 15 years ago, my dad 30 years ago. And I just see how rooted I am in this country, how much my friends, everyone I love, you know, how many contacts I have now, especially when you do something new, you're like, oh, I know so-and-so from from that place. And I'm like, my God, I'm grateful to my parents because I think the expression they always used is you have to leave the shore to find new oceans. And it's if you stick to the shore, you'll, you'll never take advantage. And because we were sort of slightly cut off and they made us cut off, you know, I came when I was 12 and I had to build here. And that's why I feel so British in a way. I feel I really belong. This, this is this is my country. It's my adopted country, but I absolutely love it. And just my roots are here. And, and that means a lot, right? Like it's the best legacy you can you can give to your children, I think. When I asked you the question about your routine and you said, well, I've just got so many hours in, in the day, I imagine that in your head you, you could create a hundred businesses, not three. If I just, I just listed three things out. That appetite, does it come from wanting to create more roots? Does it come from wanting to make more money? What's it about if you think about why you keep creating these businesses? Because it isn't just about filling the time, is it? I think what it is about sort of meaning and purpose. A lot of people say the reason why people become serial entrepreneurs is because once you've felt it once, you've felt how that feels like, you sort of want to do it again. You know what I mean? It's almost you get sort of hooked on the excitement of it. And for me, very very much, I suppose, it's just knowing, discovering stuff about yourself, being your full self, like having a full channel. I remember actually when I, when I sold Coffee Republic, after five years and, you know, I'd sort of made some money and something was like, I'd made myself completely redundant. It was almost like the worst time of my life. I just literally remember suddenly I had nothing to do. You know, I was financially comfortable. And I just remember like just walking in the afternoons feeling so lost. And I think we always forget what sort of purpose means in life. And purpose, you know, we, we sometimes associate purpose with some grandstanding. You're kind of, you know, curing cancer or feeding the world. But purpose is sort of, meaning to what you do knowing that every day when you're there you're making a difference mm. 
and somehow being you know creating something and everyone does it's not about being creative it's just it's making something. a contribution I, I get that to a point but there's something else that i'm thinking about with you which is that i think because because and i i speak to many people who weren't born in the uk who came here and who had to build something i imagine that some of this is about security you create a structure it's your structure and that structure keeps you safe as much as it grows and then you're you know you leave it and you yeah. grieve a little bit there must be something in there that's saying look i in a way there's a blank canvas because there is no history yeah. which almost frees you to then go and create things. But actually in the creation of the things, it's to give you those roots, which then, as you said, this is your adopted country, this is your country. Yeah. Is that is that possibly yeah, true it, as it well? Yeah, it probably is as, as well. You know, again, I kind of I'm mentioning my parents a lot, but I remember they used to always say, you know, we have to be 10% better than the best here because we're not from here. And I actually just found the first letter I wrote to a law firm, actually, Freya Chumley, when I was applying. And I remember just, like, I'd sold the letter from 1988 or whatever, and I literally put in a letter, you know, you know, I kind of, I was born in Iran, and my parents always said, they have to be 10% better than the best. So I think, I think, and that becomes a habit. You know, I definitely think in terms of, you know, how your kind of brain works, you're like doing your best. What's been really ingrained in me is you've got to do your best. You've got to go to bed at the end of the day and just think I've done my best, you know, because I remember what, you know, my dad always told me was do your best and let God do the rest. And it's almost like there's always sort of compulsion to kind of do your best. Have I done my best? Have I done enough? And you still hear them telling you that? Yeah, very much so. You see, the power of parents and 10% better. I like that. Do your best. Much more coming up from my guest, Sahar Hashemi, in a couple of minutes. But right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishkon Innovation series. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip, focused on retail and the world of manufacturing, we hear from Julie Dean, the founder of the Cambridge Satchel Company. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. A really, really good thing is to try lots of different things and really throw yourself into it, knowing that this might not be what you end up doing for your entire life. But if you have a good attitude, you can really pick up a lot of insight and tips because, you know, I didn't know at 20 what I would end up doing. I didn't know that at all, but I did waitressing in a Greek taverna. I did, I did loads of weird things. But from every single thing that I did, I look back now and I think, well, when we look at the shops and the customer journey and all this kind of thing, I think back to what I learned when I was doing my waitressing job, you know, and you do, you, you learn interesting and useful things from every single thing you do. So don't panic too much about having to know exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life, because I just don't think that that is reasonable. But I think that if you can look at opportunities that, that come your way and think, I'm going to say yes to these and get something from them. You know, I, I knew that I'm not really going to be a, a sort of a, a lifetime career accountant, but I do have an accountancy qualification, you know, and, and I did work for some years with Deloitte and, and then with PwC. And from those years, I just learned so much, you know, I picked up so much. And I think that 
that put me in a very, very strong position when I did come around to the point of thinking, I'm going to start my own business now, you know, because I had a very solid foundation. And so working for different places that can give you a good training in those early years is no bad thing at all. The Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers await you on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice, just in case you didn't get that bit. Or if you've got a smart speaker, do ask it to play Jazz Shapers, and there you'll find a taster of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, Saha Hashemi, OBE, co founder of Coffee Republic, founder of Skinny Candy. I feel like it's just a list. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to yes, stop, stop there. Yes. Just stop. <laughs> Enough. You've done a load. You've mentioned your parents and, and, I've also read about when your father passed away that this was a this was a trigger to realize hold on a minute I don't want to be a lawyer I'm not happy I'm going to I'm going to make the change I'm going to do something new that newness is a big part of being a serial entrepreneur where does newness come from now all these years later gosh well I th- I think maybe in life sometimes and just to say I mean when I was thinking I don't want to be a lawyer is it's not as sort of simple as that. I think actually I realized I was actually a pretty crap lawyer. I wasn't a very good lawyer. So I could see everyone else was really thriving. And why were you not a good lawyer? Come on. Well, I because don't believe... it just, it just not, it just doesn't suit, you know, Didn't I believe there's some somewhere in the world that everyone's a star at. Yeah. And our whole life is finding where we shine at and sticking to what we shine at and where we're good at, which is what you two are, I think, is, you know, it's finding that, right? Like kind of opening all the doors and seeing, oh, this looks like this is my area whereby all my natural characteristics kind of join up with what I'm trying to do and I'm kind of going to shine here. And so very much for me as a lawyer, I remember I was so enthusiastic doing my articles, my kind of traineeship. And then once I qualified there, I could just see everyone else thriving. And I could just I just wasn't thriving. I was really rubbish. I mean, they were just about to get rid of me had I not left anyway. So <laughs> I'm not saying I just left because I was unhappy because it's very difficult to decide whether or not, you know. So I think it very much correlates as if you're enjoying it means you're great at it. And if you're hating, it means you're probably rubbish at it anyway. So you've got to start reassessing your career. So as I was really looking for something, to be honest, Elliot, what am I I going to be good at? Where is it that I would naturally shine? Where is it that would play to my strengths rather than it to be a struggle, so much hard work? Where is it whereby... I'm in the flow where work doesn't feel like work. And how did you work that out? Was it just trial and error? Um, yeah, I was just, I was looking. I remember when I left, I was, um, I applied to become an in-house lawyer, did so many applications, couldn't get a job anywhere. Like, I'm not surprised they didn't give me a bloody job. I'm a rubbish <laughs> in-house lawyer. At sort of I'm very Coca-Cola. pleased they didn't give you another yes, job. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be my great, you know, I could just, it would, again, it wouldn't play for my strengths. I couldn't understand no. what I... And then eventually, you know, the whole sort of story of going to New York and coming across skinny yeah. lattes. But, you but know, that's not about skills. That's just about I've got an idea. I mean, loads of people have those, but it's the yeah, it was, it's, but the, the strengths thing. Did you write them down or something? Did you no, go, not at I, all. The, no. Then how did it evolve? But do you know what go, I say? Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's all about saying what you want and then going out there. And I don't want to be all woohoo around the sort of universe. But you're about to be. You're about, about to, to manifest, aren't you? I can feel a manifestation moment. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> Go woohoo on me, it's okay. I'm going to go woohoo. But it's almost like if you t- if you sort of, as Margot Marone, that you've got to get on the program from Organic Pharmacy, she says, you've got to ask the universe. And Margot always says, not a wishy-washy ask, you've got to really ask. And it's almost 
question of putting yourself out there and going, I want that. I'm not sure how it is going to come to me. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Because sometimes you look for something and, and what actually manifests is actually <laughs> completely different than what you could have ever imagined. Because I think our brains are so limited. But you kind of know, it's almost like little signs, right? Like hot, hotter, colder, hotter, colder. So, okay, give me one or two of the signs that said... I, Sahar Hashemi, are going to be the founder of Coffee Republic in the yeah. UK. What is, give me a sign. So, so you know, I, I kind of have a skinny latte in New York, come back, tell my brother, I really miss skinny lattes. He's like, this is an amazing business idea. And then I'm like, rubbish. You know, I don't want to go into business. Like, I, I, like, what am I doing? I'm a lawyer. Why would I open a coffee bar? And next thing he says, go and do research. I'll pay you. And just like, as he pays me, like, I come back from that one day of research and I'm like, oh. This, this seems quite interesting. I kind of, I get some interesting facts and I'm like, oh, let me just like write up a little business plan. Let me write up a two-page summary of what this is. Oh, this is good. Let me go to the next stage. It's sort of, it's almost like life happens step by step, not in these enormous, you know, it's not something enormous. It's kind of something that feels good. You follow it. It feels even better. Next, It's sort of almost like you've got momentum behind you. You know, next thing you know, it's sort of, I really believe in that kind of 1% every day. You know, I don't believe in big ideas. People go on about people having big ideas. I think the worst thing people should have is big ideas. Coffee Republic happens, 110 stores, five years. Some people know the story, I know the story. You leave. The sense I get is that you love creating and that you get to a business, and I've met lots of people like this who just, they've started from ground zero. They built things up and then it gets a bit institutional. It gets boring. You get the big names coming in from industry and doing all that. Do you think if you had your time again right now, it would play out exactly the same way. In other words, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving on. Um, actually, I, I, I hope not. I think um, leaving Coffee Break was one of the biggest mistakes that I made, that the, both my brother and I made, because, you know, you start a company, it takes so long, you build everything, you know, brick by brick. And, you know, we were, you know, to, to an extent lucky that it, we happened to hit the zeitgeist of the whole sort of coffee movement in the UK. And it was a successful brand and people loved it. And just by kind of almost walking away and giving it to the professionals to run, I think it was incredibly naive, really. And I think if, if I could do, do it again, from what I've learned, I would have stayed there and I would have looked after the company. It's almost like you're sort of abandoning a child. It's sort of a weird thing to say. But was it a confidence thing at the time, Sahar, weirdly, even though you'd done this thing from zero, was it a this isn't how I want to run this business. Yeah. No, do you know what? It was, it was at that time very much the word was um, everyone used to say founders have an exit. People used to say founders have a sell by date. There was always a story of yeah. you found the company. <clears throat> And so you're a startup and then you become a big company. And when you become a big company, you've got to give it for the big boys to run, almost what Silicon Valley calls the grown-ups. So we very much believe that it was almost like you're the founder. What are you still doing in this big company with 110 stores and thousands of employees? Um, and so we almost felt like we didn't belong anymore and you'd overstayed your welcome. And literally, you know, I think as a founder, you love your company so much that we were like, oh yeah, maybe we'll, we'll give it over to these corporate people to run because they're they're better. You know, they, they say we don't know how to run things. They say you can't run a company on passion, on, you know, being just customer-centric. It's all about metrics and and we, we sort of believed in that thinking and to professionalize it and I really believe actually uh, you know I talk a lot about that you know I think companies have souls and the soul is the connection of what you're selling with a customer you know being incredibly customer centric and which is you know I we started it because I wanted to drink skinny lattes myself and and I didn't realize how precious that was which is why a lot of my career at the moment is sort of the speaking I do through my book, Startup Forever, mm. talking to large companies about how to think more like an entrepreneur. So, so the point of Startup Forever is you should never move out of the startup phase. 
you should always keep that startup phase. And often the founder is the one that keeps that startup thinking in the company. And it's energy and it's and it's drive, but it's also, I love your word, soul. I think that's the thing that is, again, back to our woo-woo moment. It's much more woo-woo and zeitgeisty now to say, Businesses need to have soul because back into your point about purpose, we all want to feel like we're buying things that have meaning beyond, you know, that, that have businesses that have good morals, that have a good set of values, good compass, if you like, in terms of where they're going. That is true now, but it sounds like it wasn't true in the 90s. Or Absolutely, the it definitely wasn't. There was always like, when are you going to exit? And and we got a bit carried away. It was during that whole dot-com. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that sort of whatever. You're very was kind. <laughs> we were like, everyone was like set. I, I forgot it was sort of almost like that boohoo, that company. And everyone, the sort of, you know, lots of companies getting big and selling. And, and we just bought into that. And, and it, was, it was a sort of huge mistake that I've, I've learned a lot. And, you know, that's sort of, in a way, a lot of my career has been, you know, about what happened there. And how important founders are because they're the ones that imbue the company with the soul. And sure, you know, founders not a great people manager, so you bring someone else on, but you make sure that person's very conscious of the contribution a founder can make to the business because how much a founder cares about the product, but not just about the product, about the customer. Mm. No one can sometimes replace that. Um, the late Anita Roddick used to call it like the founder has an umbilical cord, you know, to the soul of the company. I think that's very true. Stay with me for a final chat with my guest at Sahar Hashemi and we've got some Lonnie Liston-Smith for you too. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Sahar Hashemi is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and it's gone by in a flash and you can never do justice to someone's sort of 30 years of working hard and fast. I've read a bit, a bit about you where you talk about just do it literally just get on with it start don't think about it too much just start and it feels like that's your mantra that's the you wake up at seven after Stuart's gone for his walk or you've gone for the walk with Stuart depends who's walking who you get going and you build again you build again and of course your latest iteration of building is the buy women built idea which is all about showcasing and celebrating women female entrepreneurs but also their products just where did that little idea come from why are you doing this well, um, you know how the people, there was all pressure on everyone during um, lockdowns that, you know, who's going to be running a book in lockdown. And I used to always laugh at that thinking, oh God, you know, I literally, I kind of think I just baked for the first one, like entirely. Um, yeah. I got what did you kind bake? Of pound cake. Um, yeah. I really, I really got the sort of Victoria sponge come pound cake down. Yeah. Not my, not my tempo. Make it brioches. But I just literally remember it was in that November 2020, that circuit breaker we had. And I'm just sort of sitting there looking at Twitter and the, and the tweet was not everyone can invest in women not everyone can mentor women but we can all buy from them and literally it was like a light bulb I remember where I was literally like in my house and I remember just thinking we can all buy from them and I remember calling up the person that wrote the tweet Jacqueline de Rockers, who was president of Tech UK I was like Jacqueline that was really powerful what you said because it's amazing you know how incredible it is to support women by buying from women-built businesses because I was always doing that in a way but not really realizing it but then I sort of thought instantly as I put the phone down I thought the great thing is great to say buy from women businesses but people don't know who they are I happen to know who they are because I'm in the ecosystem and I judge all these awards so then I remember I kind of called up Barney McCauley who was this sort of marketing guru I knew and I was trying to negotiate with him to be honest with you to do my website because I thought he was so brilliant and we were sort of chatting and he was always saying he wanted to do something with purpose so I just literally called him up and I was like listen what about doing a consumer movement to get people to buy women built, connecting all these incredible women built brands we have to consumers. 
took him about sort of a week, I think, to think about it. He was like, I'm on, let's do it. And and we basically together started by Women Built and by being B-U-Y, as in sort of says what it says on the tin. And it was just really to showcase, to show people that, you know, we talk a lot about where 2p out of a pound goes to women build businesses, everything like that. But it's all been quite negative and it was really mm. after the Me Too movement and a lot of stuff was 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 not positive. And yet kinda of, I thought actually look what they've achieved. Look at these women. You know, they've all done it. They've all come from such different backgrounds. You know, everyone's got different circumstances. And how did you get them to buy into the idea of being part of this? Because I know I mean I'm just thinking of the four people who've been on the program over the past few years, Marcia Kilgore, Beauty Pie. Joanna Jensen, Charles Farm, Harriet Hastings. Harry Hastings, Biscuiteers, and I think there's, and then Thea Green, of course, Absolutely. Nelsing. How did you, did you just pick up the phone and say, I'm doing this, do you want to be part of it? Yeah, it was, was terrifying, you know, of course, because I, I sort of sat on the idea for about, sort of just doing Zooms the whole time about it. And then I realized I've just got to take, you know, again, because my motto is actually leap and the net will appear. And I really believe in the power. Hopefully. Of, <laughs> but it does. It does. Because yeah. you just don't point overthinking. And I remember actually with Harriet Hastings, who I'd never met before, we were on a panel and I was doing the panel as a favor to my nephew at this sort of the wealth managing company. And I remember I was like, hey, Harriet, I've just starting um, a group and I'm just going to start a WhatsApp. Will you come on the WhatsApp? And it was an embarrassing moment in December 2021 when there were like literally three people on the WhatsApp. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember Barney then messaged me something saying, oh, that looks like it's going well by mistake on that same WhatsApp. I've thank God I had to screenshot it and people can see. But, you know, it was pretty embarrassing. It was like three people on the WhatsApp with this idea. And then I started cold calling people and literally I, I hounded them. And they would ignore me because they were like, what is this? But eventually now I've got a hundred of the UK's top brands on this one WhatsApp. And is there a moment, because here's, you know, people listening to this go, but she's Sahar Hashemi, she's the one that created that thing and they didn't listen to her. It's kind of reassuring that whoever you are, there's still this moment before the tipping point. Do you remember the tipping point when you went, hold on a minute, this is going to work, people start piling in? What was it? And do you remember what happened yeah. just before it? Well, it's actually, it's interesting because exactly as you say, I think when you're anyone with an idea, but your idea's new, your idea's unproven, you're like stinking like the worst rubbish bit. I don't know, what is the expression? I mean, there must be some better English expression for that. You're no, just I like, like that one. I like you know that I mean? one. You're like, you are just, no one stinking wants to get... Stinking like rubbish. Like a, I mean, you're just, no one wants to get near you. You've got no credibility. And it was really awful because I used to tell people and a couple of founders, actually some quite... That I remember telling them my idea and I, I got quite bad responses, quite discouraging. And, and thank God, actually. My husband was amazing. That Barney was amazing. Everyone like around me, would, I had a couple of like real support because I come back and went, that person just completely dissed it and thought, why are you doing that? Everyone else was doing it. So just it's always realizing you are at your most vulnerable, your most weak when it's you and an idea. And everyone's going to be like rolling their eyes, dissing it. And it's just about working your way through that stage until there's something concrete happening. So with the WhatsApp, I remember it started December. I remember we had a coffee with about 12 people in February. I'm like, okay, that's good. And then by April, we had about 40 people on the WhatsApp. So incrementally stuff starts kind of building. But at the beginning, it's just it, it's just mortifying, really. You, know, you, you put yourself in such a vulnerable position. Then again, it's about confidence, right? So I don't believe people are naturally confident. I think the more you do it, the more you just don't care. I've just learned that, you know, I am going to be sticking like rubbish with a new idea and everyone's going to say it's rubbish, but I just don't think, and I think um, one of the best, if anyone ever asked me for advice, the biggest advice I give is just don't overthink, just don't think, just do. Just do and it will work out. Because the worst thing we can do is like plan A, plan B, 
is it is this the right route? You'll never know if it's the right route. You just got to do it, and then it sort of figures out along the way somehow. Thank you for stinking like rubbish. <laughs> it's been brilliant to chat to you, and some brilliant advice too, and reassuring genuinely for people who aren't you to know that even you are going to have to be vulnerable and go through that that process before people go. Of course, that's a good idea, and now they're all asking if they can join. I'm sure. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is Nina Simone, Sinner Man, from one of my favourite films, Thomas Crown Affair. Nina Simone with Sinner Man, the song choice of my business shaper today, Sahar Hashemi. She talked about having to be 10% better than even the best. That's the message from her parents as someone who has come from another country to this country in order for you to achieve success. She talked about companies having souls. What a lovely thought. And it's true, isn't it? Those companies that have souls are the ones that touch us and the ones that do brilliantly. And she talked about being at your most vulnerable when it's just you and your idea. And finally, just because I have to add one more thing, because she said so many good things, just do. Life happens step by step. So take that step. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.